it's super hard to distinguish hype from real trend, which mm -hmm. is more long term. And it takes a lot of discipline and experimentation. I feel mm -hmm. like companies have to have tolerance for failure and have to have processes in-house to encourage experimentation and small investments. Project A Podcast. Hi, welcome to a new episode of the Project A Podcast. In the last product podcast, we talked about the relevance of innovations for building good products. My name is Tamil Havari. I'm director of product management at Project A Ventures. And we have a very special guest today with us, Shezard Gafar. Hi, Shezard. Hi, Tamar. Hi. So um, we would like to talk to you about the topic of, like, does innovation really matter? How can I start innovation? How can I make that work? But before we dive into that one, maybe you can introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you for hosting me today. So my name is Sherzad. I originally come from Tajikistan. My experience spans across 15 years um, across different roles, including project management, business development, entrepreneurship and product management. So my first contact with product management happened accidentally when I was doing side project with a bunch of friends in Tajikistan, introducing a new website um, to, to find cool places to spend time at. And while building that, I had no clue what we were doing. We didn't know about lean startup methodology. We didn't know anything about terminology, but we actually built a really cool, successful product. And that was my first experience. I realized that I want to build on that and learn more. So I chose Berlin as my destination. I came here to pursue my degree in business administration. And afterwards, I joined a small startup called Buka Tiger as a product manager, helping the company transition from one business model to another business model from product perspective. Later on, I joined another company called Fonpit in a digital publishing space and also where we introduced a bunch of product to drive user engagement, which also um, in the long run turned into a new business for the company in the ad tech uh, sector. And also later I realized that I also want to learn more about how product innovation is done at scale. So I joined here and their services innovation team to introduce new products to here technologies where I spent um, almost two years exploring and experimenting across products. And right now, as of three weeks, um, I joined a startup here in Berlin in digital health sector called Yes.Life as a chief product officer where right now I'm, I'm learning how to do things, but also super excited about this new change. Do you believe that every company should thrive for innovation, especially in terms of digital products? Yes, I believe so. And something before we dive in, uh, something we need to do is to define what innovation is. Right. So there are um, different types of innovation, but there are also different dimensions of innovation. So first of all, in terms of in type types of innovation, usually they're grouped by incremental, something small, small improvements mm -hmm. or radical changes. That's radical improvements or also disruptive innovation. In terms of dimension, innovation is not always about building a spaceship or mm -hmm. coming up with a new machine learning product. Right. Innovation can be at the technology level, at the service level and at the business uh, model level all 
or at all three levels. Mm -hmm. So once we know these dimensions, it's, it's, it's easier to talk about innovation because now it's just about bringing new products and services to the market that your customers love mm -hmm. at different dimensions that we mentioned. So you say innovation is not only in terms of like technological innovation, you can innovate in terms of like new business models, new services, new digital products, even new user experiences Absolutely. That, you, that you can in introduce. Absolutely. Um, how, how do you incorporate the terms of a risk? I mean, you could be very provocative and say, come on, like, why do you innovate at all? I mean, you're taking a risk, uh, you invest into something and of course you might fail. I mean, this is like, I think very, very, very uh, part of the innovational or very characteristic to an innovation to not directly succeed. Um, wouldn't it just like be better to not innovate, wait for someone else to do it and just like copy it there and go from there? I guess it depends and also depends on your appetite and your ambition. Now, also for this question, I believe we need to define the word risk, mm -hmm. right? One risk is financial risk, investing your money into some projects which might not pan out and then you just lose that money. That's like short term financial risk. And then the other risk is the risk of becoming irrelevant. So which is the more long-term risk of just losing relevance in the market and losing your position mm -hmm. in the market. Because as we know, any product or service has a life cycle and eventually the, the product has to be sunset. And if you didn't innovate enough, then you become irrelevant. So you have to choose and it's a trade-off between the short-term investment of finance mm -hmm. at huge risk because not all innovations pan out or risk of losing relevance in the mm -hmm. next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when, when we have a look at many startups here in this, especially like Berlin ecosystem, we see that like many startups really start with a very cool new product, um, then operating for some time, doing quite some good business. But some of them even start to not innovate enough anymore. And over time, they just like fail and disappear from the market. Um, do we have some good examples of companies that um, just like didn't make it because they didn't invest enough in innovation? Yes, there are a bunch of companies um, and there are some usual suspects usually. So mm -hmm. let me just mention them, but we will all talk about other companies like among big companies. These are Nokia or these are Kodak or Blackberry who mm -hmm. missed certain big opportunities. Mm -hmm. But then these stories are usually well known because they're covered by media. So let's talk about some other examples. One of my favorite examples is, for example, the company called Toys R Us, mm -hmm. which went bankrupt last year. And after being dominant in the toy distribution market for years, right? Mm -hmm. So what happened is that in in early 2000, they they ignored the internet trend, and they what they did is that they stroke an exclusive partnership with Amazon to be their online distributor. Mm -hmm. They thought online would be just a niche distribution channel. While it was exclusive from Toys R Us perspective, Amazon didn't have this exclusivity um, uh, back. Mm -hmm. So they started distributing other companies as well. So Amazon became very relevant in online space and Toys R Us had no, had no um, part, like presence in online space. They started investing very late. They invested more than 100 million, but eventually they couldn't catch up with Amazon, uh, especially after their, uh, their deal was over. Toys R Us just was behind. So they lost relevance and Amazon and other, other online players simply uh, destroyed them. Mm -hmm. So they never could recover from that mistake um, because, because of not investing in, 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 the, in this distribution channel and uh, simply had to file for bankruptcy. That was one example, for mm -hmm. example. 
I mean, like, um, when we have that as a strategical decision to say, like, okay, I'm going to go online, I don't going to go online, um, how can you make sure that you're not missing that kind of train? Like, how, what are kind of, like, approaches to make sure that you're not going to lose track of major trends? I mean, like, there's always a next trend coming up. Yes. Um, if we're talking about e-commerce, everyone is talking about personalization or yes. maybe machine learning, or back in the days it was uh, cross-channel marketing, stuff like that one. Yes. How, how do you make sure that you're just, like, um, going onto the right train or sitting in the right train? Um, yes, it's super hard to distinguish hype from real trend, which mm -hmm. is more long term. And it takes a lot of discipline and experimentation. I feel mm -hmm. like companies have to have tolerance for failure and have to have processes in-house to encourage experimentation and small investments, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just set up a team which invests millions of money in a new trend which doesn't pan out, I think it's not the right approach. But if you have some small experiments across different channels, across different business models, across different technologies, and you just keep it, keep your keep your hands on this on the pulse of this technology and how it's how it's developing, then you might see this trend coming and then invest in the right time. Mm -hmm. But if you just ignore it completely mm -hmm. and outsource it completely and you don't develop in-house expertise and capability then then it's a huge risk and you mm -hmm. have to make it in a very in a, a very informed manner mm -hmm. by by doing a lot of rigor or putting a lot of rigor in analyzing the numbers and really discussing with experts and looking at the market mm -hmm. trends because otherwise you might just miss out on such a big mm -hmm. opportunity that will destroy you and we see companies who actually have have to pay a huge fee because of that for mm -hmm. example the recent acquisition of uh, Red Hat by IBM, $34 billion, the largest acquisition from IBM and the third largest in, in the US in history. What happened was that IBM didn't invest in cloud infrastructure and cloud uh, software uh, early enough, mm -hmm. and they fell really behind Amazon and Microsoft and other leaders. So they had to actually pay huge fee to just play a catch-up game. And we will see if it actually succeeds because acquisitions don't always yield mm -hmm. investor return. Mm -hmm. So in the end, you're saying that it's uh, the best approach to play around with the new trends, new technologies? And then in the end, figure out if you can create a value add for the customers that you have on your side, um, if it's really benefiting the customer side or how do you, I mean, like you can play around with that one. You can see like, okay, I'm gonna, whatever, do some kind of machine learning projects yes. and have some play fields, whatever. Um, but you know, like uh, how do you, how do you take this one from this? Hey, I play around with that one to yeah. make a serious business out of that one. Yeah. I think you have to have a diversified approach to innovation. So first of all, the company should clearly know what is at the core of their business without which part of the business or without which capability in-house mm -hmm. or if this capability gets disrupted, the business would not exist, right? Mm -hmm. And then any trend that has even a minimal impact on that capability somehow going forward, if machine learning has that impact, then you have to make a conscious decision wh whether you develop this knowledge in-house or you outsource it. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by diversification of innovation is that you have to have teams which play with that technology in-house, but mm -hmm. also there is a strategy of buying young startups 
uh, to to actually um, bring that innovation in-house because you maybe did, did not want to invest in it yourself mm-hmm. or spinning out um, uh, set, like building up a new team outside the organization which is not part of the main main mother organization to, to do innovation separately mm-hmm. so there are different ways of doing innovation and the organization has to think of different strategies to make sure they, they diversify approach mm-hmm. because if they just play with the technology mm-hmm. but there is no leader in the house who can actually understand and connect that technology to business mm-hmm. then it will not work out mm-hmm. This leads me to my next question. I mean, like, let's say we have a company environment. Let's say we uh, decide for being more innovative. Um, where can I start? I mean, there are some examples like the Adobe Kickbox, where they have like a box where you have some some money in there to try out some ideas, to build some MVPs and give some yes. time for that one. I think even the approach of Amazon, uh, which is highly based on this working backwards approach yes. to first of all, sketch out the vision and working from there to see like what is relevant in order to, to make that one work. Um, is there any other kind of like approaches that you can recommend companies to go for uh, if they want to start with like being more innovative? Yes, something I would like to first add is that companies should not see frameworks as a silver bullet to the innovation mm-hmm. problem. I've seen so many companies uh, introducing scrum process and saying, now we will be innovating because we will be shipping very fast, mm-hmm. right? Or they were there introducing some design thinking process mm-hmm. and thinking that will solve their problem. So frameworks, they enable you, but they are not the foundation for it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I think what, what, what is the foundation is this conscious decision that investment in innovation mm-hmm. is the right thing for the company and creating this environment for it, right? Mm-hmm. And it starts from this support, top-down support from leadership for this innovation mm-hmm. and creating this enough financial and mm-hmm. organizational uh, support for it. Now. The next one is, of course, having the right team and the right the right mindset mm-hmm. uh, in the teams which deal with innovation. And only then it comes to frameworks. And framework even then, frameworks should not be applied um, just directly or without interpretation. Usually, frameworks you should also be adapted to the needs of that organization. Mm-hmm. So there are different frameworks. Um, you already mentioned some of them. So Atlassian has their own framework. Also, some some really cool stuff. Uh, I generally like anything with design thinking um, uh, approach to it. So we applied lean startup in in here innovation team with combination of design thinking practices. It's just because we believed in those as individuals, mm-hmm. right? So whatever works for the team and whatever enables them and empowers them to come up with creative ideas in mm-hmm. a disimpl- disciplined manner, that, that framework mm-hmm. works. Do you think there needs to be like um, a dedicated person, some dedicated role in the company that is also responsible for making that one work? Because, you know, like if you see, like you said, it needs to come from management, of course, like cultural change needs to come from management. but having the manager and having enough time to drive into all this kind of innovation that happened might yeah. not, I mean, like he makes himself a bottleneck. Yes. yes. Um, do you think, or do you have any recommendation where to start, you know, like naming the product manager, some, some business developers, um, 
uh, even like uh, yeah. technical people, like where should it like be located yeah, yeah. in the company? Who is the owner of that one? Yeah, you're, that, that's a very good question because I didn't mean that the top management has to do the innovation. They have to create an environment for the innovation. Mm -hmm. Now, innovation and the best innovation actually come from any direction. So mm -hmm. top down or bottom up. Mm -hmm. And once you have this environment where idea meritocracy is in place, where ideas can flourish from any side of the organization, this is where innovation happens. What big organizations often do is that they have this dedicated team which has an innovation modifier in their team name mm -hmm. and then they invest in that and they introduce some design thinking uh, frameworks there and then here you go we have innovation team so you mean like as a separate organization a separate organization or a okay. team mm -hmm. right but then that's not always actually where innovation comes from in in a lot of the cases innovation comes from different corners of the organization and just you have to have this disciplined practice of noticing those mm -hmm. signals and connecting them mm -hmm. and then making some like a sense out of them mm -hmm. and the, usually this this um, this is possible this is made possible only by empowering certain individuals mm -hmm. and usually it's not about really the title like innovation manager it can be an engineer who came up with some amazing idea it can be some product manager which came up with this uh, crazy idea but once you have this environment where that product manager can meet with mm -hmm. that engineer and together they can do something quickly this is when innovation happens mm -hmm. and then the the manager's task here is to notice that mm -hmm. is to support that and somehow nourish that if that and then has some promise for the business. It's a very interesting point. I mean, like, um, you've been also probably in that situation that someone comes up with a crazy idea and then yes. you compare this crazy idea with the items in your backlog. Yes. And then you start to compare and say, like, okay, how do I prioritize that one? Especially, like, if it's more innovative, the, you don't have that much data, you don't have KPIs that yes. proves you to, to go into that direction. It might be a 10x idea. Yes. Well, you have like uh, like a whole bunch of like 1%, 10% ideas. Yes. Most of the companies just like go for the 10% ideas because it's more like a sure shot. Yes. Um, what would you do recommend to, to, to incorporate that one into the product decision process? How, how, can I, how can I give an innovative idea enough room to yes. survive any backlog meeting. Yeah, so I think the surest way to make sure innovative ideas are given a chance is to judge them by different KPIs. If the team's KPI is a profit and loss, some mm -hmm. sort of a financial metric, it's very hard to innovate in that team because any innovation takes time to flourish and start bringing return on investment. Mm -hmm. So if the team's KPI, so if you have certain processes or certain teams or certain sprints where the KPI is more about discovery, where it's more about failure and learning, so uh, and it's, it's hard, of course, to make it more mm -hmm. tangible, but learning might be, for example, if we use hypothesis driven product development where we say, yes, let's like formulate a bunch of hypotheses on, in this, in this, on this topic and then validate them through some experiments, right? But then the result of that experiment is learning and not financial return immediate at least. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this is how those, those ideas can be actually judged by the merit of how fast we're learning about mm -hmm. this new topic, right? And only then we can then somehow make more informed decision about the impact on the business with time. Mm -hmm. So unless we separate these KPIs and metrics in the short and long term, mm -hmm. it's not possible to compare innovative 
creative idea from the incremental impro product improvement idea because incremental product improvement will have immediate impact to the revenue if mm -hmm. you have a product already yeah. and then it will be very it's, it's like the typical innovators dilemma of investing in an existing product and maximizing short-term revenue mm -hmm. versus investing in something which is not clear right mm -hmm. so that's why if you if you shouldn't judge by the same kpis mm -hmm. are there any like kpis that you can name right away to say like okay uh, i mean like having profit and loss uh, perspective is very hard to do in innovation yes what are the typical kpis that you look at uh, if you have an idea if you bring it to the market or have your first mvp prototype Uh, that you consider as being, you know, like being a success or not a success. I mean, yes. where is where's your comparison value? Yeah, this is this is hard and it, it differs from company to company, right? So there are different some definitely there are some artifacts which just emerge as you go through validation process. Like those artifacts could be could be some prototype, like mm -hmm. click dummy yeah. or click clickable dummy or some sort of a more more technical prototype. So that could be a KPI that how fast we are releasing an MVP to market. Mm -hmm. So optimizing this process of ideation and MVP scope definition and bringing mm -hmm. that MVP to market to quickly mm -hmm. validate right so if you say if we do it within two months so the kpi can be could be also time bound because mm -hmm. i believe innovation cannot happen without constraints they have to be constraints to them to for innovation to happen if you just give all the resources and you just say move in any direction innovation cannot happen there should be clear goal there should be clear hypothesis mm -hmm. and there should be strategy to validate that hypothesis in actually some constrained manner mm -hmm. otherwise you will be digging in all directions without really mm -hmm. knowing if you're if you're progressing And this should be highly then connected, I believe, to the business goals. And the business exactly. Value, and so be in the, in the end, you're not moving in any direction, but the any company is facing some long-term challenges, mm -hmm. whether it is improvement of some KPI or satisfying some customer need. Mm -hmm. Then once you know this long-term challenge of the company, any, any experimentation you do, any hypothesis you come up with has to have has to look in that direction. You don't know the impact, the scale, but it has to be aligned with that long-term goal of the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about the typical pitfalls of going to that pass. I mean, um, going from a day-to-day -day process of improvements, continuous improvements yes. is quite nice, but once you want to like go into that direction more uh, with a little bit more effort and more you know, like room for that one, what are the typical failures that you see in other startups in your own experience say like oh my god you know like please don't do that again i've been through that failure or even to some positive things like what worked out pretty well for you say like okay yes. these guys this totally worked out go for that one yeah one thing so if we're talking about startups one mm -hmm. thing i've noticed um is this application of frameworks without really thinking through why we are applying those frameworks. For example, the concept of agile is very often misunderstood in my mm -hmm. opinion. So what I see in a lot of startups is that um, they implement Scrum and only the IT team, like the tech team, maybe product owner following the Scrum process, mm -hmm. but the rest of the organization still operates in a waterfall manner, you know, like the The design is created, maybe the CEO defines some 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 request, then the marketing maybe is involved, and then maybe technology team and product team is involved. Then there it seems to be agile, but then the rest of the surrounding is is waterfall, right? So this kind of this this is a usual trap that 
it's not really about the framework, it's about the mindset of, again, experimentation, of, of make, making conscious choice, and also cross-team collaboration, right? Because Agile is not about really some specific framework, whether it's Kanban, whether it's Scrum, or whatever it is. It's more about really driving this cross-team collaboration where the actually real innovation happens. Now, this has some... Uh, side effects. Mm -hmm. For example, there can be a bit of a chaotic environment just because if everybody's talking to everybody, um, this leads to a bit of a chaos. So because of that, you need to have also some discipline, right? As I said, you have to introduce some constraints. Mm -hmm. So it can be time bound, it can be documentation that you are documenting your experiments if you're following hypothesis driven product development and so on. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you mentioned, like, first of all, you need to have a good mindset. Yes. You, you should not only apply a methodology, but really understand and live that one. Yes. Um, to make it work. Um, you said you need to invest a lot into documentation and make sure that you are not just like having this high fly uh, department that can do whatever they want to do, but rather like um, being also bound to very hard restrictions yes. to be able to create some. And something also very important is to be outcome driven rather than output driven. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies, they, they maximize feature shipping, which is, which is not always the right way to innovate because um, no one answers the question of why we are shipping it. And also uh, very often startups lack the discipline to, to measure whether the impact is there, right? Yeah. Because you usually come up with a feature idea as a solution to some problem. Maybe it's a business problem, maybe it's a customer problem, but usually companies don't invest enough time to mm -hmm. understand the problem. Yeah. They jump to executing. And then once the feature is executed, there is no discipline to really go and look into numbers or mm -hmm. talk to the customers or look at the customer service software you have for complaints to really understand if the expectation you had for that feature has been achieved. Exactly. And this mm -hmm. expectation has to be set early. This is what I mean by hypothesis, that you say, if we do this, we will achieve this. And we will know that we achieved this if this KPI moved, right? Mm -hmm. And this is and this is why I call it discipline. It's not really something that just happens immediately. You actually there have to be people in the company mm -hmm. who demand that this is in place. It's very interesting. I just like recently saw a talk from Dan Olson, the author of the Lean uh, Product Playbook. Yes. And he mentioned quite, quite hard that um, the problem space and the solution space should be separated a yes. little bit more. So like the typical mindset of a product manager is to solve problems. Yes. And this leads him directly to not staying long enough in the problem space yes. to understand what is the problem, why we are solving that problem, how could we really benefit from that one, yes. rather than to directly jump into feature sets and feature yes. creation, yes. because it sounds so, because it makes you a good feeling, right? Exactly, so solving feeling, problems like always, yeah, feels good. I have a rough idea, so let's go for that one and write yes. it down and create a specification, exactly. see how it's going to be launched, rather than to be very um, pessimistic on your feature. Right, I mean, like I think right. this is quite, quite, quite important to. to yeah, to what do. is what that leads to is first of all, it leads to IKEA effect because you are starting to work on the on the feature. Like in IKEA, IKEA effect is like a bias in your head that if you do something with your own hands, mm -hmm. you start you get in, you fall in love with that thing. <laughs> so it's the same thing. You start working on that feature and thinking about how it's gonna work and how it's gonna make a difference for your product, and you start believing into this. Mm -hmm. And this has a this has a problem like inherently built into this is that when you come up with a feature you're it's 
it's a very pragmatic rationale why you have to spend more time in the discovery phase, in the, in the problem space, is that once you come up with just one feature, you have to ask yourself, what kind of problem I'm solving? Once you make that connection and go back to the problem, all of a sudden, the solution range becomes endless. But if you just focus on one solution, you can just optimize this locally, but you, it will be hard for you to jump radically to, to the, the radically different solution from this solution, mm -hmm. right? So you're maximizing your your local KPIs or your your local uh, metrics, but you will not be able to come up with a radically different solution. Mm -hmm. But if you really define and pinpoint the problem, mm -hmm. the range of solutions are literally endless. You can come up with something easy, something fast, something more expensive, and all of a sudden then you can apply this uh, trade-off thinking and then you can think or do mm -hmm. some research and um, measure the impact on business mm -hmm. and so on. So you say basically that research is a very important and integral part of any innovation process and you should not compromise on the research in terms of being fast on shipping features and I mean like we all experienced that one like I mean how often did we launch the feature yes that yes, really yes. didn't make it was not very well done absolutely uh, just didn't make an impact and we had like a couple of weeks entire developer teams working on that one that's right and with just like one additional week of research we have, would have found out that this would not have made any sense at all just because we also believe in what we are yes, building and that's you know, absolutely fall in love right. with your own idea and as you mentioned the IKEA effect or um, yeah, I yeah. mean, like there's even the, the example of like baking a cake, you know, like yes, there's yes. this kind of ready made mixes. And once you put in like an egg in there, yes. it feels that you made your cake exactly. yourself rather than to have it like ready made. Um, yeah, say, that's, that's, that's absolutely right, Tamer, because uh, this generally like spending time in the problem space and researching and reaching out to users is it's hard, you know, it takes effort. Also in Berlin, uh, where we have a lot of product managers who come from elsewhere mm -hmm. and in B2C space, it's very hard to stay close to your customers, especially if your first market is Germany and because you have to be able to speak their language, right? I had this problem mm -hmm. earlier in my career, so I had to look at numbers because I wanted to be customer focused, mm -hmm. but it was very hard for me. But still, I tried hard to go and talk to the customer care, to the marketing, to the sales guys, and to look mm -hmm. at numbers, at least to have a proxy to the, to the customer. Mm -hmm. It's not the best, but now, now at least I can talk to them and to actually understand. And it takes effort because um, because finding the, those customers, finding the right customers, doing user research is not easy. But I'm not talking about spending weeks and weeks on creating a business plan for your feature here, mm -hmm. right? So as you mentioned, it can be done in a week that you look at numbers, you look, you talk maybe to five to 10 users, and you can already develop more informed hypothesis mm -hmm. rather than just jumping to execution mm -hmm. right off the bat. But of course, like this, this uh, brings in the risk that like sometimes you fall in love you, with your idea when you prove your idea. So yes. you're looking for the right numbers. So this is like right. still, of course, like the typical yes, yes, issue. Yes. And um, yeah. yeah, I think this, this is where it definitely needs to come into place to combine qualitative information like user research, talking to customers, uh, customer service, but also like taking a look into the numbers, yes. data, KPIs, whatever you have in there, just like to, to figure out like, is it really a relevant problem or is it just like the, 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 is the target group that we're solving the problem for is like quite too small? Yeah. yeah, you're right. So confirmation bias is in place. So that's why if you're looking into number to 
support your uh, feature idea, mm -hmm. then yes, that will be a problem. But if you look into numbers to validate the problem definition, mm -hmm. then I guess that's the right mindset. Mm -hmm. All right, so what we've learned so far is that uh, you definitely need to have a good mindset, first of all. You need to have some restrictions and to attach the whatever you do in terms of innovation with the entire business and the overall business goals. Yes. Um, you can do it either by having a separated team that's working on that one, yes. measured by hard KPIs to be um, outcome-driven and not output-driven, or you can bring it within your existing teams and just like make sure that whatever you have as a prioritization process, you give enough room to let also this kind of parts of innovation or innovative idea being able to win yes. um, the prioritization meeting, backlog meeting, uh, so you can thrive that one. Yes. Shethard, thank you very much. It was a very interesting talk. Uh, we learned quite a lot. Um, and if you have more questions in regards to that one, um, feel free to leave us uh, some comments. Um, Thank you very much. And thank you very uh, much, Tama. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.